you. Thank you very, very much. You know, I, uh, I don't know how to adequately describe what a privilege it is for me to be a part of this series, to be a part of your church. I have had uh, sort of a front row seat into the beginning of Soul City, and uh, my husband and I came to your grand opening service, and we visited again a couple months ago. But as Jarrett and Jeannie uh, have expressed, uh, we've been close for a long time. What they didn't tell you is they've been like second parents to our girls uh, whenever we traveled. And uh, if we came back home, the girls said, could you go away another week because we're having so much fun with Jeannie and Jarrett. And uh, we just feel like they have marked our daughters in very significant ways. And also he described how I got to be a part one time of starting a church. And if you're new here, even if this is your very first time, you are in on the first year of Soul City. That means you're like a founder, even if you may not realize that. And some of you know that all too well because you've been sacrificing and showing up and wearing many hats. That's what happens when you're a small church. And uh, I look back on the first year of the church that I got to help start And I look at it and I remember there were some really high highs, really high highs, and there were some lows as well in the midst of that, but it was one of the greatest adventures of my life. And you won't ever forget, you know, being on the ground floor of of helping to be a part of this community. So I want to thank you uh, for including me. And I'd like to lead us in a prayer and then we'll launch in. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for this summer day in this beautiful city. Thank you for the opportunity to gather together. I thank you for each person who took out time to leave home and show up here tonight. I thank you that uh, we can count on you being present in this place. And we pray, Father, that we would explore together that which uh, would really give you praise and honor. I pray that my words would inspire others to see your breathtaking goodness and your outrageous grace. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Did any of you see any pennies on the floor as you walked in? Raise your hand if you saw a penny. Uh, More importantly, did any of you pick one up? Yeah, normally we just kind of walk by pennies. Um, I asked the team if they would spread some pennies out because it reminds me of a section of one of my favorite books. It's by Annie Dillard, and it's called Pilgrim at Tinker Creek. Annie Dillard is a writer who grew up in Pittsburgh, And she tells in that book how when she was a little girl, about five or six years old, she had sort of an odd habit. She liked to hide pennies by like a chipped off piece of sidewalk or near a tree. And then when she learned to write, she would take a big fat piece of chalk and she'd draw a huge arrow and then she'd write the words, money ahead or, you know, surprise this way. And then she herself would hide and she would wait to see which lucky passerby would be the first one to get a free gift from the universe. And many years later, in this book, as she was writing, she sort of reflected on that odd compulsion of her childhood, and and this is what she wrote. She said, I've been thinking about seeing. There's lots of things to see, unwrapped gifts and free surprises. The world is fairly studded and strewn with pennies, cast broadside from a generous hand. But, and this is the point, Who gets excited by a mere penny? It is dire poverty indeed when a man is so malnourished and fatigued that he won't stoop to pick up a penny. But if you cultivate a healthy poverty and simplicity so that finding a penny will literally make your day, then, since the world is in fact planted with pennies, you have bought with your poverty a lifetime of days. It is that simple. What you see 
is what you get. You see, the world is planted with pennies, cast broadside from the generous hand of our sovereign creator. And I think, just like Annie, that little girl hiding, he's waiting to see who's going to notice, who's going to see the intricate designs and the delights that he has spread around this world, and who will then turn around and give him thanks. Now, our primary text uh, for tonight is found in Psalm 40. And it's the Psalm of David, and this is what he says, starting in verse 5. He says, Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done. The wonders you have done. The things you planned for us. I love that phrase because it shows the intentionality of God. The things you planned for us. You can almost imagine his loving heart designing what he's wanting us to delight in. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. Way too many to declare. You see, the world is just this stockpile of God wonders and God thoughts. And he is wondering, are you awake to these wonders? Are you awake? Are you cultivating the kind of spirit and rhythm of life that is very likely to pay attention and to be delighted all day long by the wonders of God? I think wonder is our fundamental call to worship. It calls us to worship. In Acts chapter 2, we read about the early believers. And my favorite sentence in that chapter is that everyone was filled with awe. Among those early Christians, everyone was filled with awe. Now, children are naturally filled with wonder. Some of you know this very well because you live with little people. And you know what I'm talking about. Uh, According to research, children ask a lot of probing questions every day. Not just like what's for dinner, but probing questions. So I'd like to ask you to turn to the person next to you and just take a guess. How many probing questions does the average child ask in a day? What do you think? Okay, Uh, I heard somebody say 100. Any other guesses? You think it's 100? Yeah? Okay, close. 125 every day. Some of you are the recipient of those questions, and you know the relentlessness of them. Now, when we become adults, the number drastically drops down. Adults ask only six probing questions every day. So where did we lose 119 questions a day? What happens to us? If you have a little one, you know that they get delighted by the simplest things. You know how like at Christmas they're more interested in the box than whatever the present was? Well, maybe you've seen this video. It was on YouTube and also part of a television commercial. And I get such a kick out of watching this little baby's response to a simple piece of paper. This is baby Ethan. Take a look.
Okay, you get the idea. The kid has the hardest head, and I have no idea why the dad doesn't move that thing. But anyway, something happens to us as we grow older. Somehow we begin to get numb to the wonder of everyday miracles. Somehow we begin to exchange adventure and delight for apathy. And it's very, very sad. I'm older than most of you with a greater uh, distance from my childhood. And uh, I've seen how easy it is to get stuck in a cycle of routine, to start yawning through life instead of having shining eyes and being excited about the delights and discoveries. There are many arch enemies against wonder, and I want to show you a list of just some of them. At least these are very real for me. These are some of the enemies against wonder. See if you relate to any of them. Hurry, big one. Hurry. Stress, too much technology, noise, more than ever uh, information overload with us all the time. Workaholism, lack of solitude, real solitude, absence of celebration and boredom of routine. Can you relate to any of those? Which ones do you most identify with? Some of you say like all of the above. And, and I know these are challenges. Which ones are intruding on your soul the most? Now at this point, um, some of you may have concluded that this is a rather childish topic, sort of lightweight. But I think there's a huge difference between being childish and being childlike. When we cultivate a sense of awe, when we pay attention to the everyday miracles of God, we are driven to give thanks to the source of every good and perfect gift. It drives us to thankfulness and to gratitude. And we live out the kind of attitude that David described. This is from Psalm 131. He said, My heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty, but I have calmed myself and quieted my ambitions. See, he's making a choice there. I have calmed myself and quieted my ambitions. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Beautiful picture. Cultivating a spirit of wonder is going to require you and me to wake up. I love the verse in Isaiah that says, you who dwell in the dust, wake up and shout for joy. We dwell in the dust, wake up and shout for joy. And yes, this really is a childlike perspective. Now in the scriptures, I'm sure you've noticed, and in fact in one of the worship songs that we sang earlier, we often use the word alleluia. And it's not used that much in everyday conversation anymore. So I think there's another word that's appropriate to our day and age and our culture. It's the word wow. My family would actually say that I use the word a bit too much. I remember uh, a vacation we took in the Colorado Rockies. Maybe you've driven along that one stretch of highway. It's so gorgeous that uh, there's many spots where you can pull off for a photo op, you know, and just capture the beauty. So we were driving along this stretch of highway. My daughters were both early uh, teenagers at the time. And I'm hanging out the window. My husband's driving. So I'm hanging out the window, and I'm saying, like, wow, look at that mountain goat over there. Wow, look, there's still snow on that mountain. It's the middle of August. Wow, look at the wildflowers. Aren't they gorgeous? And I look in the back seat, and my daughters both have their iPods in their ears, and they're just sort of completely zoned out. Every once in a while, they would look out and check out something and just give me a little bit of a nod, but they really didn't care that much. My husband, meanwhile, thought this was a raceway. And it was like a competition to see who could complete it first. And he had no intention of pulling off at any of those photo ops. 
That vacation sort of began something in our family, with my family referring to mom and her wows. A couple years later, we were in a completely different place. We were in Florida, and I asked my daughters if they would go parasailing with me. And they said, Mom, we'll go, but, you know, just don't embarrass us. Don't say too many wows, okay? And um, <laughs> so I think we have a picture of us. Uh, I am up above this crystal blue water. The fish are jumping. I'm perched between two of my favorite people in the universe, and you have no idea how many wows I choked down. It was very, very difficult, <laughs> but we had a fabulous time. And since then, increasingly, I've decided, you know what? I don't want to apologize saying wow. I, I want that to be my spirit. A, a, a male friend of mine says, I want to be counted among the easily impressed. And I really love that goal. I want to be easily impressed. I want to say wow frequently. And my goal for tonight is that all of us would be inspired to become more of a wow kind of person, to be childlike in our response to the delights that God has lavished on our earth. And we're going to begin by exploring some of them in creation, because that's probably the most obvious place that we begin to look for wonder. Now, first, you know, when we look at his designs, I think we, we either pay attention and see the intricate beauty of them, or we kind of just walk right by. Pastor Mark Batterson wrote a book called Wild Goose Chase, and he recounts in there the story of how God showed Abraham the stars. You probably know this story. It's found in Genesis 15. He says that God kind of took Abraham outside for a field trip, and he told him to go up. He gave him an assignment, actually, to count the stars. And the reason was this would be an object lesson. Whenever Abraham would look at the night sky, he would remember God's promise. God's promise was that one day, Abraham, your descendants will outnumber the stars in the sky. The story is told of former President Teddy Roosevelt and a naturalist friend of his named William Bebab of how they would go outside every night after dinner and look at the night sky. And they would find this faint spot of light in the lower left-hand corner of Pegasus. And they would recite the following statements together. Take a look at this. They would say, this is the spirit galaxy in Andromeda. It is as large as our Milky Way. It is one of 100 million galaxies. It is 750,000 light years away. And get this, it consists of 100 billion suns, each larger than our sun. And then Roosevelt would look at his friend and he would say, now I think we feel small enough. We can go in and go to sleep. Now, that's what happens sometimes when we look at the majesty of what God has made. And I hope sometime this summer you'll be able to pull away from the city lights. You know, I think we have to go to Wisconsin these days or someplace far away to actually see the stars in all their glory. And when you do, and many of you have been on camping trips, etc., when you have that moment, it's breathtaking, isn't it? You sit there and you say, oh, I get it. I see how big God is. And it's sort of right-sizes my own concerns and problems. But you know what? We don't have to go like to the Rocky Mountains or to the ocean or to the botanical gardens even to be gripped by the wonders of creation. We can look at something as simple as our human bodies. I love the book called Fearfully and Wonderfully Made. It's written by Dr. Paul Brand and Philip Yancey. And in that book, they explore a lot of details about these bodies that you and I abide in. And I think that sometimes... We spend a lot of time complaining about our bodies. 
<clears throat> you know, when we have a cold or an ache or pain, something's not working quite right, or a part of our body that we wish looked different than it does. And I recognize that here tonight, there may be a couple people who really are struggling physically these days, either with a disability or a serious illness, and maybe right now your body really isn't working right. But the majority of us take for granted the miracle every day of what's going on just for us to function in these bodies. So I want to begin by talking for a moment about our eyes. You know as well as I do that an amoeba has just one cell, right? One of our human eyes has 107 million cells, just one of our eyes. And 7 million of them are called cones. Now if you close your eyes for just a second, I can tell you what those cones do. They can tell when even a tiny photon of light passes their way. They can discern the light. Open your eyes. The other thing these cones do is they can discern color awareness. We can discern a thousand shades of color with our eyes. Now the other hundred million cells in our eyes are called rods. And they're backup cells for use in low light. So when we're out at nighttime, and if it's just moonlight, we don't really see color but then we can distinguish a spectrum of light so broad that the brightest light you and I can discern is a billion times brighter than the dimmest light we can see. Our eyes are miracles. The human brain is receiving millions of simultaneous reports all the time from our eyes. And just by coincidence, tragically, in my extended family, I had two members of the family, through accidents, lose their gift of sight. And they would have told you what a tremendous loss it was to no longer be able to see. Now let's take a moment and think about our feet. Just flex and wiggle the muscles and the bones in your right foot. Just kind of move them around a little bit. You know, we have 26 bones in each of our feet, the same as in our hands. And they're only as wide as half the width of a pencil. And yet, they are structured and designed by God in such a way that they can withstand, you know, when we jog on asphalt. Some of you may be like pole vaulters. You know, our feet can support that weight. During strenuous exercise, our feet can absorb up to a million pounds of pressure. Now, not all of us, you know, are athletes, but in our lifetime, did you know that each and every one of us walks an average of 65,000 miles or more than two and a half times around the circumference of the earth. Did you know you do that? No researcher has yet discovered a material as well suited for a body's needs as bones. Bones have been proven to form the lightest structure made of the least material to support a body's weight. It's a miracle when we sit, when we stand up, when we reach for something, every single time. And we really don't pay much attention to our bones until we fracture one. My older daughter broke an ankle in basketball. And when that happened, I got to watch the wonder of the healing process with bones. Some of you have seen this. You go in and you look at the x-rays. And what happens is within two weeks, a sheath is formed called callus around the broken bone. And it's preparing for the creation of fresh bone. In just two or three months, that fracture site is marked by a mass of new bone that sort of bulges over both sides of the broken ends. Later, all the surplus material is scavenged away so that the end result very nearly matches the original bone. It's like it never happened. That's the miracle of the healing cycle with bones. Okay, one more wow uh, considering our bodies, <clears throat> though we could talk all night about this stuff. 
our skin. Grab one arm with your other arm. Now what's happening there is that the collagen clustered under your skin is changing shape in response to the pressure. This happens every time we pick up anything. So if we pick up a firm hammer or a ripe tomato, whatever we're picking up, our skin adjusts to what we are holding. There is no organ like the skin. It averages only nine pounds of our total body weight, and yet it flexes and folds and crinkles around joints. Our skin is rolled thin, kind of like pie dough, and it's stuttered with half a million tiny transmitters, like little telephones jammed together to inform the brain. Just imagine for a moment your life without the primal sense of touch. It's really the first sense that I think we experience, you know? And, and imagine if you couldn't hug someone, if you couldn't pet a furry dog or dig your fingers into earth, if you couldn't feel water over your skin. We subject our skin to lots of abuse throughout the day. We lose 10,000 skin cells every 24 hours, which is a really lovely thought when you're shaking hands with everybody afterwards uh, tonight. Now, if we had time, we would explore the 600 muscles in our body or the unbelievable miracle of our brains or even just the simple thumb. Isaac Newton once said that he would believe in God in the absence of any other proof just because of the thumb the wonder of what the thumb can do. Have you felt any wows well up within you as we describe the wonder of our human bodies? When I count to three, I would like to hear a collective wow. One, two, three. Wow. wow. Yeah. Psalm 139 says, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We were knit together in our mother's womb. Praise God, we were fearfully and wonderfully made. So next time that you feel, you know, like just like a minor cold or a little bit of aches and pains, remember the countless times your body has served you well. Even the ability to breathe right now in this moment is a major miracle. Everybody take a big inhale, a really deep one. Now exhale. We do that countless times every day and we take it for granted, but it's what keeps us going, breathing. I celebrate the wonder of the human body. Now, a whole other arena of wonder has to do with human relationships. And to talk about this, I want to first tell you I did grow up in Park Ridge. Park Ridge is the first suburb just after the city heading northwest. It's right near O'Hare Airport. So I could get to O'Hare in like five or ten minutes easily. Now, I'm going to really date myself, but when I was in high school and we were looking for something to do that was essentially free, we would go to the airport, a bunch of my friends and I, and uh, that, back then, there was no security. I know this is foreign language to some of you, <laughs> but there was no such thing as walking through security. And anybody, whether you were traveling or not, flying or not, you could go to any gate you wanted. You could just hang out at the airport. So we would go to some gate where we knew a big flight was about to disembark, and one of us would, we were drama queens, so one of us would stay at one end of the terminal and the other down the ways, and we would in slow motion run towards each other to pretend that we hadn't seen each other in decades and throw our arms around each other. It was really kind of a weird way to have fun, but that's, that's what we used to do. Now, we were pretending, but if you're at the airport and you watch real reunions, like the real authentic thing, it's actually quite moving. And I thought of that a few years back when the movie Love Actually came out. And I want to show you just the very beginning of that film. These are real reunions, not actors. Real reunions at Heathrow Airport. Take a look at this. 
Whenever I get gloomy with the state of the world, I think about the arrivals gate at Heathrow Airport. General opinion starting to make out that we live in a world of hatred and greed. But I don't see that. Seems to me that love is everywhere. Often it's not particularly dignified or newsworthy, but it's always there. Fathers and sons, mothers and daughters, husbands and wives, boyfriends, girlfriends, old friends. When the planes hit the Twin Towers, as far as I know, none of the phone calls from the people on board were messages of hate or revenge. They were all messages of love. If you look for it, I've got a sneaky feeling you'll find that love actually is all around. Three summers ago, uh, our family experienced a marked contrast within uh, 24 hours. On a Friday night, we celebrated my older daughter's graduation from high school. And we invited lots of close family and friends. It was outdoors. Um, it was a celebration of her life. And like a lot of people do, we made some posters that showed some photos of my daughter from the time she was a baby up until when she was 18. And uh, it was a night that she will remember for a very long time of, of family love and friendship love. My daughter, Samantha, was born in 1989. The very same year, there was another young woman born. Her name was Kate Vaudry. And the next morning, our family attended a memorial service for Kate. Uh, Kate was uh, already a freshman in college. She was just a little bit ahead in school as my daughter. And uh, she had gotten in her car that June morning to go to her job. And on the way to work, out of the blue, completely unpredicted, she had a brain aneurysm, lost control of the car, and had an accident and died a few hours later in the hospital, surrounded by her family and her close friends. And I did not know Kate personally, but her parents worked at the church where, where we are, and uh, there were five children. She was the middle child. So we attended the service uh, the next morning. And I learned a lot about her uh, at that service. I actually felt like I did know her. First of all, I found out she's an artist. She's a painter. And uh, she painted until the day she died. We have a, a, a picture of the painting she just sketched real quick the day before she died of a tree in, in her family's backyard. But she was also a ferocious lover of God and people. They kept using the phrase, Kate lived full out. I loved that. She lived full out. And person after person came up and described her. She worked at Starbucks for a time. And everybody said you'd go into Starbucks and she knew exactly what drink you wanted. And she gave you one of these beautiful smiles as she delivered you her drink and asked you a question about your life. She kept track. She knew what was up with you. And uh, she was uh, such a good sister, such a great daughter. In fact, more than once, people quoted the artist Vincent van Gogh, who said, the more I think about it, the more I realize there is nothing more artistic than loving others. In the lobby after the service, they displayed a lot of Kate's paintings, but they also displayed posters with pictures and photographs of her from the time she was a baby until the time she was 18, just like what I had seen the night before in our home for our daughter, who was very much alive. And I immediately thought, about how fragile life is, how something can completely change everything in just a moment, just like that. And I don't understand why a brain aneurysm happens to a young woman on the brink of adulthood. I, I don't understand that. But I do know this. I know that if Kate were here right now, 
she would look at every one of us and she would say, live your life full out. Don't miss it. And especially don't miss the people that you love. Look in their eyes frequently and tell them how much you treasure them, how valuable they are to you. So I'd like to ask you to think for just a moment of two or three faces of people who you can't imagine doing life without. You might be sitting next to one of those people. Family or friendships that you deeply, deeply value. The first people I think of are three faces. Immediately think of three faces, my husband and my two girls. And lately I think a lot about my younger daughter who's here tonight. Um, She's heading off to school, freshman in college, and uh, it's a big transition, and I'm savoring this summer. She's a little sick of me, you know, every, (laughs) are you home for dinner? (laughs) You know, um, (laughs) I I just want to make the most of every last minute. It's like, I think she's going to die or something, and she's just going to school, you know, but I'm so thrilled to have her this last summer, and you know, you have little things with your kids. I've always had something with Johanna that was kind of special between us where every once in a while I would say, Johanna, have I told you lately that I'm crazy about you? And when she got in high school, she'd kind of roll her eyes and go, yeah, Mom, you told me, and acted like she didn't like it, but I think she kind of did, <laughs> secretly. You know, we need to tell people that we're crazy about it. We can't assume they know. Even just because of our acts of service, and uh, you know, support for them. Sometimes we think, oh, they know, they know. Tell them. So before the sun goes down, and you don't have a lot of time. Okay, before you go to bed, how's that? Before you go to bed tonight, I want to challenge you to speak words of love and appreciation. And if the person is out of state or doesn't live around here, you know, call them, text them to say, I was thinking about you. I want to make sure you know what you mean to me. Our relationships are a wonder. And the fact that God designed us to be in community, to be in churches, to be with people who can love us and support us and walk with us is a wonder. Well, finally, the last wonder I want to explore is the wonder of God's grace. I think the greatest wonder of all, the biggest wow of all. It's the simple truth that deeply flawed people like me and you can be brought home by his grace, totally undeserved, that's what it means, can be brought home into a relationship with God and can walk with him in this life. And some of you have walked with God a long time and maybe you've known his grace for years, maybe even a few of you longer than that. And some of you are still checking it out. Maybe this is your first time here. Maybe, maybe you, you hear the word God and the word grace and they don't even go together. You're not sure that you believe that or you buy that yet. And I just want to tell you, you're in the right place. You're in a really good place because this is a place that will honor your questions, that will honor your process, that will just walk with you, let you work through whatever your view is of God. I'm so glad you're here. But if you've known Jesus for a while, I want to ask you to think back. What's the first time that you kind of got it? You kind of understood his grace. Do you remember? Was it a a moment in time or was it a season of your life? I uh, didn't deserve this, but I grew up in a family that knew God and loved God. And when I was a very little girl, uh, we went to a good church in that town in Park Ridge. And uh, when I was seven, I went to something like daily vacation Bible school for a week in the summer. 
And if you don't know anything about that, it simply means we heard stories about Jesus and we had a lot of popsicles. That's what I remember about Daily Vacation Bible School. And one time we went, and uh, that particular day was the day that they were going to tell us what is essentially known as the gospel or the good news. What I just said, they were, they were telling us that we could be forgiven for the bad things we did. Now, when you're seven, you don't have a real long list you know, uh, of the things you did, but I knew that I'd done some bad things. I knew that I'd lied. I knew that I was mean sometimes to my younger sister. And we were taught that Jesus wanted to forgive us, and then he wanted to be our friend like forever, and he wanted to guide us, and that all we had to do, that we had to take a step, that we had to ask him. So anyway, I'd ridden my bicycle to Daily Vacation Bible School with my best friend Janet, who lived next door, and halfway home, we lived only like three or four blocks from church, but halfway home, I called out to her, Janet, wait up. She turned around, and she probably thought I had a flat tire or something. She goes, what, what? And I said, stop a second. We parked our bikes, and I said, you want to do it? She said, what? And I said, you know what they said, like asking Jesus if he wanted to be uh, our forgiver and our friend. She said, okay. So we prayed right there. Well, a few decades later, on a summer day in June, I parked my car by my old house, and I just took a walk between the house and the church. And obviously, I have no idea what tree I prayed by or anything, but I, about halfway there, I paused And I gave thanks to God for his outrageous grace to me for the moment that I got it. Because that moment changed the entire trajectory of my life. Everything changed at that moment. And I want to ask you, is his grace, if you've known him for a while, is his grace still amazing to you? Or was it just amazing for a little while? Don't ever become numb to the wonder of God's grace because it's a sustaining grace. It's not just for the beginning when we first meet him. It's for our whole life. And he pours out grace upon grace upon grace. And if you know him, just offer up a quick whisper of thanks right now. God, thank you for the time when you made that clear to me. And if you don't know him yet, I urge you to just be open Just be open. I think it's an extension of his grace that you're even here tonight and that you're welcome in this place and in this community. Well, as we close, I want to ask you, are you a wow kind of person? Or are you wanting to become increasingly more delighted by God's wonders? You know, even when we're going through challenges, and some of you have had a really hard week, even if finances are difficult or health issues or relational struggles, whatever you might be going through, I still believe that the way through is thankfulness and gratitude. I've been reading a lot, and I really recommend this little book. Um, we've been reading it lately called 1,000 Gifts by Anne Voskamp. And she talks in there about the Greek word eucharisto. You probably recognize that word from the Eucharist when we, when we celebrate communion. Well, that word actually means giving thanks. I didn't know that before. And the night before Jesus died, he broke bread and he gave thanks. All of Jesus' life was grounded in giving thanks to his Father, in gratitude, and it is the pathway to joy. Gratitude is the pathway to joy. So here's the bottom line for us this week. I want to urge us all 
to wake up to the wonders. First, we have to wake up. We have to pay attention. We have to have eyes to see. So wake up to the wonders and give thanks. But you know what? That sounds really general, and it kind of lets you off the hook. You could kind of, we couldn't measure it, right? We couldn't look next week and necessarily say, were you more awake, you know, this week? So here's a little more specific assignment. Jarrett mentioned Oprah, so she's going to get mentioned one more time. This is not an Oprah assignment, okay, even though it might sound like it. Um, But I believe that the way we capture wonders is we name them. And part of naming them is writing them down. So I want to urge you to start kind of a wonder list this week, a wonder list. Now, Anne, the writer here, decided to write down a thousand gifts, a thousand blessings from God, very ordinary, everyday blessings. I'm not going to ask you for a thousand in one week, but maybe you can easily come up with a hundred by next Sunday. If you just jot a few down every day, I did this this morning, and I had really ordinary things like the really big raspberries I had on my cereal this morning. They were gorgeous. My favorite sweater that I wear when the air conditioning is too cold. My husband's smile. I love his smile. What's on your list? What are the everyday wonders that you don't want to take for granted? That you want to say, God, thank you. I have a friend, she says when she sees something in creation, she looks up to heaven and she says, I saw that. I saw that. Thank you. Be the one who sees. Be the one who gives thanks. This is the way that you and I can fully embrace the life that Jesus promised. He said, I came to give you life in all its fullness. And the way we seize that is we wake up to the wonders. And then we turn around and we give thanks where thanks is due. C.S. Lewis said, it's a terrible thing to be grateful and have no one to thank. Well, you know what? We know who to thank. He's the source of every good and perfect gift. Now, in a moment, we're going to have a chance to sing to that God who's so outrageously good to us. And first, I want to lead us in a prayer. So the team's going to come up and uh, prepare to lead us. But as we end this prayer, at my church, we often say, the pastor will often say, and all God's people said, and people say amen. Instead, just for this week, when I say, and all God's people said, I want you to say, wow. Okay? (laughs) Just to kind of get in practice, all right? Would you bow your heads and pray with me? God of wonders, sovereign creator, giver of all good gifts, how we thank you today. We thank you for the gift of life that we woke up this morning, that we're breathing right now. We thank you for this community where we feel welcome, where we feel your warmth. We thank you for the eyes of people that we love, and we pray that we will breathe words of appreciation into them. We'll let them know how much we treasure them. God, you are so, so good. You are breathtakingly good. And we're sorry for all the times we've missed it. Please help us to be on the lookout for the pennies that you've scattered in this earth and be the ones who look up and say, I saw that, God, I saw that, and I thank you. You are good, and I thank you. Father, may we walk out of here committed this week to paying attention in a deeper way than we ever have before. Thank you for the wonders you've lavished on this earth. Were we to try to count them, they would be too many to declare. And all God's people said, wow. Thanks, everybody.